The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good to see everybody in God's house. It's a good place to be on a day like today and any day. Uh, if you would please turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. You've got time to take your device there, your phone, tablet, Bible, whatever you have. Make sure you have God's Word in front of you if you can. 1 Peter chapter 3. So we know, at least I hope we all know, that um, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, is made up of individual believers, of you and me. And, uh, and we're not all the same. We all know that. We could look around and know that we're not all the same. And, uh, but, but God uses each of us individually with the gifts that we have to serve and fulfill specific roles within His church. And we know this to be true. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 15-20 through 20 say, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now, God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And we know this to be true in God's church and the bride of Christ, that we serve different roles for different purposes and that we're all in the body of Christ. And I think all of us probably at times, if we're really honest with ourselves, we have at times met someone, maybe not in this church or just maybe somewhere else, someone else out in the world that claims to be a Christian, and you think to yourself, yeah, I know you're supposed to be a Christian, and I know that you're in this body. We collectively make up the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, but I'm just not sure which body part you are. I think you might be an appendix that's going to blow up and kill us all, you know. Today's Scripture... In 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll look to verse 8 in just a moment. It deals with the great importance of the unity in the church. Say those words with me. Unity in the church. Now, this is not just with those that are easy to get along with in the body of Christ. The people that like the things that we like and do the things that we do and, and think the way that we think. It's not just for the people that are easy and natural for us to befriend and to get along with, but, but if someone is in the body of Christ, we'll, we're also talking about unity with that kind of person who's just sandpaper to your soul. Someone that just rubs you the wrong way and there's, there remains this thing. Perhaps it's just because you rub each other the wrong way or perhaps it's because somebody has said something and now there's this thing between you and them. A thing of unrest. A thing that, that divides the unity between you and, and that person. And the first thing I'll say is, is just to mention the, the heightened level of importance that Jesus brings this topic, this issue of unity in the church. In John chapter 13, verses 34-35, through 35, He says, A new commandment I give to you, 
the Lord Jesus Christ says, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. A body of believers that does not love each other is like a flat tire on a car. It's not doing what it's supposed to, and everyone notices. So look to your neighbor this morning, look at him square in the eyes and say, are you a flat tire? First Peter chapter 3, y'all had way too much fun with that. First Peter chapter 3, look to verse 8. It says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous. In other words, be like brothers. Be like two young boys that are brothers playing in the woods. They, they think the same things. They're on the same mission. They want to do the same things. They have compassion for one another. They're considering what the other person is thinking and feeling. Be in this unified unit together with people that are in the body of Christ. If you take 100 pianos and you tune each of them with a different tuning fork, they can be playing the same notes yet all sound just a little bit different. But if you tune 100 pianos with the exact same tuning fork, all of those pianos can be playing music at the exact same time and the, the wonderful noise is just perfectly in tune. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this before. One of my favorite things as a child and even as an adult is to go to the fair, whether it's a county fair or the Hartford fair. I just, I love going to the fair. That's the lifestyle I was grown up in. And, and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this event before, but uh, you know, I like the tractor pulls and I like the truck pulls, but my favorite are the horse pulls. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. Just here's the picture. A large metal chute filled with concrete blocks with this place that can attach to the harness and there's these two draft horses driven by the owner and if you can just picture this in your mind two horses in the harness together draft horses each weighing two thousand pounds a piece and they're they're prancing they're like they're like a dog about ready to chase a ball they're just excited about what's getting ready to happen and two thousand pounds a piece four thousand pounds of rippling glistening muscle and these amazing beasts that god has made just incredible and they back them up to the chute and they they hitch it up and then then the driver will give these horses the go ahead and they'll pull this chute with thousands of pounds in it and it's interesting, if you watch that event very, very closely, if the two horses are pulling at different strides, if both you can watch their, their hind feet, and if their hind feet are digging into the ground on different paces, you can watch the yoke under which they're pulling and it'll start shaking back and forth and the direction of pull is, is, is inhibited. And they'll only pull the chute so far across the arena. But if two horses are pulling and you watch their hind feet and they're digging at the same time, they could drag that chute all over the arena. They can, they can get much done. So what I'm telling you this morning, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. God calls the church to unity. God calls the church, you and me, His bride, His body, to unity. When we are tuned by the same fork, when we are pulling together, digging at the same time, what this tells us in Scripture is that the world will know, as we read in John 
chapter 13. The world will know that you and I are disciples of Jesus Christ. There was a couple who moved into the town and they were looking for a church and after several weeks of visiting churches they visit one in particular and and later that afternoon the wife of this couple was talking to her sister on the phone and she says sis i i know me and my husband we, we found the right church and she says all oh, the sister says oh that's interesting what what was it about this church you visited this morning that made you decide that that was the church you should you should go to and that god would have you be part of and she said the wife said well um we were ignored the whole time and the sister on the on the other end of the phone a little puzzled by that she said well why would you want to go to a church where you were were ignored and the lady said her sister she said well when we were there uh, we were there the same morning that one of their own one of their own members had come back from an extended missions trip and all the rest of the people were so busy hugging and doting over the person their their dear friend and brother in the lord that that they didn't even notice the newcomer they were they were at such a unity and such a love for one another we were so impressed, we knew that this is where God would call us to be. God calls the church to unity. That is what He calls me to, and you to, and all of us together, not just inside this, the walls of this church, but also outside with the rest of the body of Christ. We are called to unity. And this is a wonderful, wonderful truth. Now look back in your Bibles to verse 9. Not returning evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this. So as I said earlier, this is what God calls us to, not just with the people that we get along with and that like us and that are interested in the same things that we're interested in, but, but also to the people that are sandpaper to our souls. That, that when we are reviled or when someone has treated us wrongfully, the attitude of the Christian who cares about God's command for unity in the church, our response ought to be, and it's not always, but it ought to be to bless that person, to seek unity with them. So what we'll also say is that God calls the church to unity regardless of personal comfort. God calls the church to unity regardless of personal comfort. And so some of you may be saying, and I can, I can hear the thoughts of some of you, not really, but if I were to imagine it so, I could hear some people say, potentially they might say, well, Pastor Ben, you don't understand. I, you know, I get along with everybody here at New Covenant. That's easy. But the person that I know that's my neighbor that goes to the church down the street, they just, they just rub me the wrong way. I, I get along with all the people that I fellowship with on a regular basis, but, but just there's a few people that are just in, in my life that I'm just, I'm not convinced that I need to have unity with them. They just, they don't like me and they've never treated me too right and they've always kind of belittled me and, and they still claim to be a Christian and they're, they're a part of God's body, but I just, I don't see the need to have unity with them. Church, I want you to imagine what would it be like if you were to be out somewhere with your best friend and you say, friend, you know, I just I enjoy spending time with you and and boy, we just have the greatest times together. But I just hate your body. <laughs> what would that person say? What would that person say if you were to be walking there with that same best friend? and You say, you know, friend, we just we have such great unity and fellowship and our friendship is just one of the treasures of my life. But I just I hate your spouse. <laughs> I just don't like who you're married to. My dear friends, church, listen very clearly here. When we say that there's those in the body of Christ, not whether it's in this church, just people that are, are part of God's church, be it in this room now or elsewhere, and we say that we don't want to have unity with that person, 
It's as if we're looking to Jesus and saying that we don't like His body, that we don't like His spouse, because we, the church, are His body. We, the church, are His spouse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So let me paraphrase this for us. Therefore, if you bring your gift of worship, you come into church on a Sunday morning and you come ready to worship and to praise the Lord as I hope all of us come ready to do on Sunday morning. You come to church and you bring your gift to the altar, to the church, your gift of praise that we give to God. And you remember in your mind, you think in your mind of someone in the body of Christ. I'm not talking about people that are unsaved. The Bible has two different categories for people that are saved and unsaved. That's why the Bible calls it light and darkness. It's why Christians have no business under any circumstances ever of dating or marrying an unbeliever. It's two separate groups that the Bible is very clear to differentiate between the two. But people that are light, that are the body of Christ, we come to church ready to worship, being our, giving our gift of praise, and we remember with somebody in that group that we have this thing between us and them. The person that's just sandpaper to our soul that we just don't see eye to eye, we don't mesh. If you remember that person, what the Bible says is leave your worship there. Don't even worship God. As far as I know, this is the only time in Scripture ever where it says don't worship God. You leave your gift of praise. You leave your sacrifice of worship before the altar and you go first to be reconciled to your brother or sister in the Lord. This is the importance at which Jesus elevates this particular issue. And this is why I will say, with anguish in my heart and not anger, is that if there would be anyone here this morning or ever any morning that would say to themselves and to the church and to me or anybody to say to God that they just they have decided in their heart that they will not seek unity with this brother or sister that they know is in the Lord. And you've made it your mind up that you're not going to be reconciled to them and, and they've hurt you and there's this thing between you and them and you're just going to let there be this thing between you and them. What I would say to you, church, what I would say to that person is there's no reason in you being here. The door is right there. There is no reason for you to be here. Your worship is empty. There's no reason for you to come here unless you are willing to be reconciled. And, and, and you may not be reconciled, but, but you trying to be reconciled with your brother or sister in the faith, be they in this church or elsewhere in another church, that is of the utmost importance. Let that be done first. And then we come together and worship the Lord. There's a wonderful story in Matthew chapter 18 of a king who forgives one of his servants of a great debt that the man owed to the king. And, and then this man was so grateful, he, he, he proceeds to go out and find a man that owes him money. And he does not extend the same kind of grace. He, he tells the man that he must pay him back, even though this man has been freely forgiven and freely pardoned and freely reconciled with this other debt that he owed. And he did not show the same grace to someone else that owed him money. He had the man thrown in prison. And then word got back around to the original person who forgave this, this man of this great debt that he owed him. And, and the king went back and said, you, you wicked person. You'll now, you, you, I forgave you and you couldn't forgive the one who owed you money. You will now be sent to the tortures because, and you'll pay your debt in full because you did not show the same grace, the same mercy, and the same love that was shown to you. 
So church, we must seek reconciliation. To have unity with other believers. Unity in the church. God calls the church to unity. God calls the church to unity regardless of personal comfort. And I'll just tell you, um, you know, I, I'll just be transparent with you. I have not always done this very well uh, at times. And, and I praise God for His Holy Spirit to guide us. I remember a time almost, I guess it'd be about 10 years ago now. And, uh, and I was a personal trainer. Many of you know this about me. I was a personal trainer. Had many clients that I would take through their exercises throughout the day and, and had a career in the fitness and health industry. And, uh, and there was this one young man, this one boy in the church that I was also helping minister in. Uh, I was one of the pastors in this church. And, uh, and I would see him on Sunday mornings and evening activities that the church would have and whatnot. And, and he, was, he was aspiring to be an athlete. And he knew that I had all the wealth of knowledge that he needed to, to create this wonderful workout regime and program for him. And he was always bugging me to write a workout program and for me to basically train him for free. He was always on me about it. And, and to be honest that was the last thing i wanted to do after being at work all day and taking people through their exercises and through their workouts and that was the last thing i wanted to do on a sunday or on a week evening after i'd done that all day but he kept bugging me and bugging me about it and and my heart did something wrong i i considered to myself i thought you know if i take him i know i'm in better shape than him and if i take him through the most brutal workout that is so difficult for him and he'll be so sore the next day he'll never want to ask me again and, and that's exactly what I did. I took him through a workout, and uh, it was a hot summer day. We were outside, and he was sweating. I was sweating. We were working out, but he couldn't keep up, and I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing, and I thought, surely this will cause him to never ask me this again. And, uh, and no sooner than I had finished the workout, the Holy Spirit started talking to my heart and said, Ben, that was wrong. That boy loves you. He looks up to you as an older brother. And not only that, you are his mentor in the Lord, and you've just wronged him. So that following Sunday morning before worship, I pulled him to my office, and I humbled myself, and I said, you know, I am so sorry. I explained to him what I had done, and I said, I want to make this right. So we sat down with a pencil and paper, and we wrote him out a workout regime, and, and, I, and I made it right. And can I just tell you, church, that there was such a rich blessing that came among the relationship between him and I and many of the other young people in that church. There was, there was some revival that happened simply from humbling myself in that regard. And I'm not saying that I, I'm saying that as a confession to you and my failure and that praise God that the Holy Spirit guides His children. But, but it was wrong and there was, there was so much blessing that came about because we made the unity happen first before we went into the sanctuary to worship. And we see, look now to verse 9 part B, the second part of verse 9. The Bible tells us it says, you know, we want unity in the church, that's what God calls us to regardless of personal comfort, so that you may inherit a blessing, the last part of verse 9 says. So people will say to me commonly, Pastor Ben, how can I be blessed of God? How can I have a life that is blessed of God and that, that God would pour His rich blessings out on? And, and sometimes it does require us to, to humble ourselves and to pray and to fast and to seek the face of God, but it doesn't get any more clear than this. This verse, that what it's teaching here, is as plain on the noses on our faces, is that if we want to be blessed, we seek the unity of the church, regardless of our personal comfort. What I've heard many people say is... Um, if I want God's blessing, what do I have to do? And here's what it says for us. 
and I'll first tell you what the point is. God calls the church to unity, my dear friends, for personal blessing. You've already caught on to that. Verse 10, for he who would love life, if you want to, if you want to love life, church, say amen. For he who would love life and see good days, if you want to see good days, say amen. Then listen up close here. Here's the instruction. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, that is what we must do. That is what we are called to. And, and this we know from Scripture. This is not just saying Christians and unchristians and non-Christians. This is the body of Christ. That there are those who will speak deceit and evil. And those, there are those in the body of Christ who will not. And those who will not will see good days and love life. And here's the great issue with this is that I don't think any of us would be willing to say that it is our natural tendency our natural born tendency to not want to be deceitful and to say gossip things and deceitful things. I, I don't know about you, but I know for me that, that my natural tendency, my fleshly side is, is, is to gossip and to say bad things. And, and I, don't, I, I think all of us, if we were truly honest with ourselves, we would say that there's a fleshly side of us that, that likes hearing those little tidbits of gossip that we hear go around our families and our churches. And, and this church ought not to be so. We know that it is true that the old person, before we were saved, that the old person in us was a nasty person and loved to rebel against God and was wicked among all things and, and we, we were the enemies of God. And we know that that sinful man died on the cross with Jesus. When we, when we bear fruits worthy of repentance and we come to the Lord and He changes us, that old sinful man is crucified on the cross with Christ to be buried in the grave, never to rise again. The new spiritual man to be raised to life. And we know this to be true. Second Corinthians 517 says therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation old things have passed away behold all things become new let all the church say amen we know that we are made new but what we know also is that romans 8 13 says put to death the deeds of the flesh so even though the old spiritual man, the old person that was an enemy of God is now dead and our heart and our mind are now new and we don't want to sin against God and we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, but all of us know that there's a fleshly side of us that tempts us. Even though we don't want to look at filthy things on the internet, there's a fleshly side that tempts us. Even though we want to stay faithful to our spouse, there's a fleshly side that tempts us. We are to put to death the deeds of the flesh, even though we want to see unity in the church and to love the brotherhood and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we want to see that to be true of God's church. There's a fleshly side of us that, that will slander people if we're not very, very careful. Uh, don't ask me how I know this, but if you take a snapping turtle, <laughs> just, just, I'm a redneck, okay? Just, just, just trust, I, I was raised in the woods with a bone arrow, okay? Just, just trust me on this one. If you take a snapping turtle and you cut a snapping turtle's head off, <laughs> Don's laughing at me. <laughs> if that thing dies with its mouth open, you can leave the head of that turtle on a rock. And one, two, three, sometimes four weeks later, you take a stick 
and you put it inside the mouth of that dead snapping turtle, it'll bite down up to a month after it's been dead. So what I want to tell you, church, is that even though the head of that turtle is dead, it's still dangerous. Even though that spiritual man, that, 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 that sinful man that was an enemy against God, even though it is dead, it is still dangerous. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. God calls the church to unity regardless of personal comfort and for personal blessing. And I believe upon the authority of God's Word is that the reason that many people don't see good days and don't love life is because they have not succeeded to cease. They have not succeeded in putting to death the deeds of the flesh. They have not succeeded to, 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 to train their tongue not to say deceitful things and evil things against the brotherhood, against people who would be the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Take your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. We've got a moment to get there. Luke chapter 14. And I'll land the plane, as it were, with this last teaching. Luke chapter 14. Look to verse 34. Luke 14, verse 34. Salt is good but if the salt has lost its flavor how shall it be seasoned it is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill but men throw it out he who has ears to hear let him hear we know that salt is likened to the church so what we could say is that Jesus is saying is that the church is good christian fellowship is good loving one another is good salt is good but if the salt has lost its flavor if the church loses its love if the church loses its unity if the church loses its love for the bride of christ and the body of christ if the church no longer is the way the church ought to look if the salt is no longer salty and it loses its flavor how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that you know, land is good. Dirt is good. We know this especially in Jesus' day in the agricultural world in which He lived. You could grow things out of the ground and dirt was good. But what do you do with flavorless salt? What do you do with it? There's nothing to do. It's not good for anything. It's like sand. And, and it's not even fit for the dirt. So I'm just what Jesus is saying is that if the church doesn't look like a, the church, if the world does not know that you're my disciples because the salt has lost its flavor, it's not even good for the dirt. It's as if you, Jesus is saying that somebody could have a pile of dirt and they ought to say, get out of my pile of dirt, you're messing up my dirt. And it goes on and you think, man, this is really harsh, Jesus, but this is what Jesus said, not me. He says it's not even fit for the dunghill. Not even good enough for the manure. Someone could ruin a manure pile. It's like, get out of my manure. You're messing up my manure. Someone could ruin manure, something that does have value if it is salt that has lost its saltiness. So church, my prayer for us is that we would be salt. We would be light. That we would be the church that God would call us to be. God calls the church to unity so that the world would know that we are His disciples. 
God calls the church to unity regardless of personal comfort. And if you're still saying in your heart, well, Pastor Ben, it's, it's just so hard. There's this thing that you know something was said years ago and I'd be digging up these old things and if I tried to reconcile this thing now. They're so difficult to deal with. Were you any different, church, when Christ reconciled you? When you were a blasphemer, when you were an enemy of God, when you were just willfully sinning, just, just blaspheming and you were, you were totally against God, when you were His enemy, when, when you were rebellious in your heart and your very being against God, was, was Jesus any less gracious with you? The Bible says that for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For while there's still this thing between you and someone else, we're called to reconcile them in the same way that Jesus reconciled us. And lastly, God calls the church to unity for personal blessing. Church, if you want to be blessed, say amen. Say it louder. We want the blessing of God. We need the blessing of God. We, we can't do life. We cannot do our Christian walk without the blessing of God. So let us church together. Make a covenant with each other that we will have unity. That we will do the hard things of whatever it takes. If, there's, if you have a clean conscience this morning and the Holy Spirit is not convicting you, Praise the Lord. Perhaps you have been diligent to make sure that you are unified as, to the best of your ability, that you've been unified with those that are in the body of Christ. But if the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart this morning, I pray for your own spiritual walk, for the walk of this church, for the ministry that God would love to do through this church, New Covenant Community Church, and to the world in which we live to show this community that we are His disciples for the sake of that. For the sake that, that some will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ when they see our love and they see our unity. I beg you and I plead with you to seek unity with the body of Christ. Would you stand with me? Brian, if you would come. Let us pray and then we will sing and respond to the Lord. God, You have reconciled us even while we were, we were in our sin, we were immersed in our sin. We had no thought of You. We had no regard for You and Your gracious, merciful compassion that would save us and redeem us and forgive us. We had no thought of that in our sin, God. But You endured Calvary anyway. So Father, the people that are Your body, that are Your bride, Father, let us at least, at the very least, God, let us have the respect and honor for Your bride that we would have for anyone else's with care, with diligence. God, regardless of the difficulty that would lay before some of us to be reconciled to another brother or sister in the faith, let us be as You were and, and, and do it no matter what. You've been so good to us, God. How, how could we be so freely redeemed and forgiven and not be willing to show that same sacrificial love and care to those around us? In Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Let's worship together.